1: And welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, HD underscore on Twitter, joined as always by Ben Ross, Renvoss23 on the Bird app, Harmon Chillabrew. You were the only one confident enough to pick a double-digit win once again, riding high after the Iowa Hawkeyes. It felt like a hand-blasting. I'm going to call it a hand-blasting within the context of the Cyhawk series beat Iowa State 27-17. to Ben, your victory lap.
0: I wish I had the balls to put more money on these games. I just do or maybe i wish i had the income or the discretionary income to to, to do that i, I suppose is, in, is a more accurate representation of my feeling on that matter fall my picks man it's so funny because it was sort of an unspoken thing maybe two or three years ago where i handed the the betting i, I didn't really handle it i just re, i relinquished the betting column to you because i simply you know maybe had a little bit of a problem so i had to stop and now the life has changed Three years since then, I've got, and also I can do it for my goddamn pocket. Before, when I earlier, I I would have to go to a certain bar in order to place bets. Um, Now I (laughs) just do it from my couch. (laughs) Um, I, it's funny. Again, I didn't even know. I I, I said last week, you. I didn't even realize I was the only person who picked. I would win double digits this week. That that was it again. I think. And I didn't voice this anywhere. I thought about it Saturday morning, at, leading up to the game. Cause so I, I really don't like these. I know Iowa State is always at 3.30, but I, I really don't like that. It's my least favorite time slot by far. Um, and I was thinking about 2017 Michigan, when they come to Iowa City and they put the newspaper on the walls of the pink locker room. Is that 2017? Uh, 2016. Yeah. 2016. And right then and there, I placed a gigantic bet on Iowa, like a huge bet. And I was like, all right, they're not even thinking about the game. They're thinking about the locker rooms. This one's over. And I was right. And I was thinking about how I read something all week where Matt Campbell wasn't, he doesn't say Iowa and press, like, even though Iowa State is in the even though Iowa is in the name of the school he coaches for, he still tries so hard to not say the word Iowa. And that was especially true this week in the press conferences I was reading or hearing about. And I was like, "Oh, this game's over. He's thinking about some petty bullshit like that, not thinking enough about coaching, and that's that, but it's still i still didn't i didn't still didn't place you know, the two thousand seventeen size bet on iowa uh, I, I also too I just didn't I had a nice week last week. I kind of don't really feel the need to anymore after I have a nice week um I was gonna be I knew." I was going to be surrounded as I watched the game at a hearty Iowa-themed Chicago, high, Iowa Chicago bar here. It's packed to the gills. It felt good to be back. I didn't need to be sweating out a gambling debt even more than I already was in a shoulder-to-shoulder bar for the first time. I've been in one of those since COVID. <laughs> and it's just, you know, six years in a row, it's always great to be a Hawkeye. And piece of advice to Matt Campbell is just don't lose to Iowa six years in a row. And I'm not sure if you'll have the opportunity in year seven to do it.
1: Here's, because I think there, there are two key angles. And the first one is obviously from the Iowa State side. And I do want to elaborate a little bit on it since you brought it up. For, the idea that he doesn't say Iowa is laughable. It is different Because I get it, because he comes from Ohio. You don't say Michigan. But those are two different states. Those are two completely different universities. You're allowed, when Ohio State goes and marks the X's to cover up all the M's, you're... Or no, it might be Michigan who does that to Ohio State. But point being, like... It's in this stinking name. It's in your name. So... That was one piece, and I picked Iowa State ahead of it. I thought it was going to be super tight game, go to overtime. But then all of this stuff, similar to kind of what you were looking at uh, Saturday morning, I start looking at Orion Vance, he's out. I have a Iowa State friend who's at the game. He's like, Charlie Kohler looks less than 100%. Um, and then I just get all of these weird feelings where it's like, you know, maybe the heat does matter. Maybe their offensive line isn't going to be that good. Um, and I ended up, you know, putting a little money line action on, on Iowa because I just hated the momentum that was happening about Iowa State. And then, come to find out, Thad shares uh, that tweet from Cody Hills, I think, or C- Cody Foster, basically, where he's enumerating – what Condon's saying on the radio that uh, I was just not going to forget how Matt Campbell was behaving on the sidelines two years ago. And it was completely hilarious in retrospect to, for him to be like, you think you're that smart two years ago after he pulls a fast one on the double pass. And then they stop it the next time. So you think you're that smart, Matt Campbell? And just, I think there's a, a weird edge right now that Kirk Ferentz has that Matt Campbell cannot get over the hump. He, in my opinion, just approach the game. So incorrectly, like Iowa is going to play the field position game. You cannot let them have the ball first because that's, that's exactly what Kirk wants. He, he wants the ball so that he can flip the field or score. One of those two things, and from there, it, w- it, it wasn't over, but he was letting Iowa play Iowa's game. And that's just what, what I don't get in, the, in that sense, because to me, I would have taken the ball. I would have tried to flip a fielder, score and put Iowa on their heels because they haven't trailed yet this year. And, and in some respect, they were, they were able to do that eventually um, when they had their best field position of the game on a missed kick after a sack on third down. Um, but they only got three points out of it, and there wasn't like a a wave of emotion. Um, it didn't you know allow them to assert the run game, and then you you have that drive before half and close the gap. And I don't understand why Brees Hall isn't coming out and trying to run it down Iowa's throat in the second half. I don't understand it. And Holly Rowe shared that Matt Campbell was going to let it rip. Brock Purdy let it rip and got benched for it. So that sucks for Brock Purdy, I think. And it's, I I, I guess, since we're here, since I I took us here, how weird was that? Like two, two straight weeks where Iowa has dark horse Heisman candidates. And when I say dark horse, I mean like, what, probably you have to go 25 names down. 20 to 25 to get to Penix Jr. and Brock Purdy. And they are enjoying the game on the sidelines as the clock winds down. Wild. I I would have never expected that.
0: If you recall, I had to text you in a drunken haze asking you what happened (laughs) to Brock Purdy. Because, you know, although they did have the sound on of the game in the bar and it was on the TV situation was perfect and you could see the game every which way you looked, It still, you still miss kind of the minutia of a benching or some, or like maybe I missed a play where Purdy tweaked something. So I had to text you. And, the, and when you told me, you said it was a mix between maybe hurt, but pulled, but he wasn't hurt. He straight up got pulled. And in retrospect, I mean, he threw three interceptions. Um, so in retrospect, I understand, you know, pulling a guy through three throws, three picks is maybe it's a defensible coaching move is what I'm saying. However, you know, I grew up playing rather watching hockey in Minnesota (laughs) and there is always the coaching adage, no matter if the game's out of hand, you still don't pull your goalie and trade goalies um, just because that totally completely fucks with their psyche. I don't totally necessarily believe that's a one-to-one comparison because pulling a goalie in the NHL—you know, these are millionaires we're talking about—but also, you know, pulling a high school goalie or college goalie is maybe tractable. And I just think about that. Now, you're gonna you're gonna go try and win, let's say, 11 games in a row now with Brock Purdy after you benched him, but you still you can entrust him in you know the biggest moments of. The, of the biggest game so far this year. I mean, arguably so far of his career, honestly. And, you know, the game wasn't totally out of hand either. Like, if, if that Nico Roganey ball doesn't go out of bounds uh, on the onside kick, all of a sudden, Iowa State has the ball uh, with the chance to t- tie it up, right? So, or not quite tie it up and make it a one-score game with, what, four mm-hmm. minutes left? Um, yeah. So, it, it it's truly incredible how we're watching this guy who's being hailed as who, you know, was going to be a success to Jim Harbaugh at Michigan or Scott Frost in Nebraska, which, you know, honestly, I'd stay at Iowa state instead of before I go to Nebraska um, or, or any other bevy of, you know, now USC is open. is, uh, is an open for <laughs> news. Clay Helton was been fired or is Clay Helton Todd, Todd Hel- Clay Helton's been fired. Another guy who's never beaten Kirk Ferentz, by the way. Um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, we could do this all day. (laughs) And it's just crazy to me that you're going to try and ride this guy, Purdy, for the rest of the season after you displayed some questionable uh, confidence in in his ability.
1: Yeah, I was emailing Stoops in the aftermath of this, and he had a good zag take, the only one that I've seen, because I am in your camp that you've – Brock Purdy is the guy. Like, I mean, say what you will about 2020, he led the team to their best uh, season of their history. And in the second game, this, you bench him. Now, uh, to me, we're coming from Iowa fandom, right? Where... uh, Quarterback benchings so, don't happen. Uh, so so uh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're approaching it from that angle. But the, the way uh, Stoops framed it was what Purdy did or what Campbell did by taking him out was allow him to not dig a deeper hole because he had shown that that's all he was going to do that day. And – in doing so, it didn't tank their playoff aspirations because the game did not devolve into a, call. It, if, if it had been 34-10 or even 30-17, to if it's anything different than the score it ended up being, you probably see them slide down even the rankings more. I think the Athletic, who does the one through 130, basically, they slid them all the way down to the 30s. But that's just not how... You see the vo- volatility operate within these early polls, though I do like seeing it within within that particular one. Chris Benigni writes it, um, so I, I get it from that respect. But it still, to me, is like it just shows how in his head he is about trying to beat Iowa because he just he he gets away from his team's strengths. He, and Iowa just runs circles around them because they want, Iowa wants teams to let it rip. Newsflash, that the, the teams that beat Iowa are not going to be the ones that let it rip. It's going to be the ones that are confident in their running game for four quarters, no matter the score. Um, So that, it, it's just a, a misalignment and, and just a, it it just blows my mind at how he cannot get over the hump because I, I think JP framed it pretty well. If not this year, which year, right? Because this is Iowa State's never been higher coming into the season. was Iowa, right? I mean, but at a higher level maybe than they normally are. Um, so you know, ha- have fun, Matt Campbell. Good luck, and I I think. This is playing out a little bit like a question I posited ahead of the season, which was, would you be surprised if none of Iowa, Iowa State, or Indiana got to nine wins? And I think now I would be surprised if Iowa did not get to nine wins. I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana was at eight or fewer. And Iowa State, I think they're lucky that they're in the conference that they're in because um, there are some very easy wins, and Matt Campbell, as much as he has the anti-book on Iowa, he has a pretty good book on Oklahoma. So um, more to come, obviously. But man, to, to Iowa I just came in and, and stole stole everything. I mean, the Ashton Kutcher stuff that was incredible, and it's just like uh, ESPN went in there to troll them, and we're in the fourth quarter, and they're playing B-roll. They're showing Tyler Linderbaum uh, wrestling highlights. They're flashing that 1984 Hayden Fry picture. Just tree, incredible yeah. stuff that I would not have expected to see um, coming into this game.
0: It was every like ABC broadcast bingo card. They filled in the square in the fourth quarter. There, You talk about stealing. I mean, you stole all the points I've written down here to make. The first thing I had was, you know, for Matt Campbell. If not now, when? Like you had mentioned, that's absolutely right. Like, from just even the perspective, of, you know, this game, this game. I don't think this game will get canned next year, but Matt Campbell might have a different job next year. But I, you know, I'm not confident. I'm not confident this game being around in maybe three years or four years. I don't know if I totally believe that, but but uh, it's still. Something with, I think, a kernel of truth surrounding it. Um, Another good point, too, that I also, JP, uh, I think brought up in Slack, is it really makes you think, you know, for all of the stereotype that the Big 12 doesn't play defense and their brand of football is maybe a little bit different or softer, you know, I always... Kind of, you know, I think that was true to a degree, but also slightly overblown. But now it just makes you think what would happen if I was in the Big 12 for the past four or five years. It really does, especially now. I mean, it's a conference of two. And normally, and if it weren't for Iowa State to be a conference of one, you look at Texas the last five years, look at Texas, most importantly this year, it's Oklahoma and the rest like who else around there like maybe tcu could have one of their like scrap something together this year i think gary patterson put two, two good ones together early but like that's not the point the point is like your conference stinks and that's the reason why it's not gonna and that's the reason why your conference now is gonna have byu cincinnati houston and FIU, FAU, USF—one of those three schools. I can't remember.
1: <laughs> UCF.
0: <laughs> the, the, the final Florida school. I couldn't even think of. Um, and like you look look at the BYU Nevada game. I actually watched a lot. Or it was it uh, Utah BYU Utah game on Saturday night? I, I watched that trying to sober up after the Iowa game. And BYU is going to come in and comete, compete right away. For the Big Twelve, like you're obviously they won't be Oklahoma, but you might get the conference might get less top heavy, but top to bottom, you know, uh, BYU is a sneaky good school. I, uh, Houston, that's got an undergrad uh, undergrad population of under forty thousand. Like, if, if they can get a, a, a real coach back in there, if Tom Herman, <laughs> they can get woo him back. Like, all of a sudden, you think about what's going to happen to that conference. So. It, it, the, the sun might be setting on uh, uh, on these <laughs> these golden years of the Matt Campbell era. And, it, you know, honestly, they should maybe be counting their blessings that they at least were able to taste these moments. And at the same time, you know, uh, I think I would be really surprised if Iowa State didn't get to nine wins just because the conference is, is so weak. I'd be shocked if Iowa didn't. I mean, I'd be less shocked. I'd be more surprised if Iowa State didn't make it to nine wins than if Iowa did.
1: Okay, and okay. I don't think,
0: and I don't think Indiana's getting there. Nine one Indiana is not happening.
1: R.I.P. Nine one Indiana. So I think yeah. we 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 exhausted as much as we should out of the Iowa state angle. The, the bigger story, obviously, is as it pertains to this podcast: the Iowa dynamic. Because I don't know if there's anything else to describe. The way the offense plays versus the way the defense plays, other than like a perfectly constructed ecosystem, where Kirk Ferentz just the the best offense Iowa has outside of a Brian Ferentz heater is Tory Taylor punts, and I don't want to go too deep on that right now. So let's focus on just how dominant this defense has been. Because, once again, they scored a touchdown. They were three three interceptions. They all counted this time, They uh, unlike the, the Indiana game where they had one taken back. Um, and they just do what they do. I, I think someone called like the, the defensive line an anonymous pack of wolves. I can't remember where I saw that. But I thought that that was incredible because they're so deep up there. They have what probably 8 or 9 guys that could start in the back seven of almost any uh college football team and certainly Big 10 and it's just wild like the the one that has that kind of makes me think so much is like Justin Jacobs can you imagine Justin Jacobs on the Ohio State team probably as their starting middle linebacker would change the face of what their defense looks like and he's not chomping for scraps, but he's not a full-time linebacker like he, he would even at Ohio State. It is wild to me, the depth on this defense that has really been the driving force of this season so far.
0: Jacob, Jacob's already, He I just looked it up before he got on he played 29 snaps, and I think uh, Iowa State ran just over 70 offensive plays. So... Uh, but but he's making the most. You 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 see it, What he's doing all 29 of those snaps. He's an insanely important part of this defense. The the defensive line going back is just crazy. I think they flipped the starting defensive tackles on this week's depth chart just to kind of like fuck with us. Um, I'm serious. I think they just they just flipped the one and twos that were the ones that were the last. Uh, Noah Shannon yeah. and Logan Lee were the ones this week or last week, and now they're the twos behind Lucas Van Ness and Yaya Black. I think this week. Um, which is great. I, hilarious. Uh, then they all play like the equal amount. They're all equally effective. It's uh, anonymous wolves is, is absolutely right. Even, even the true freshman walk-on who I I chastised a few short weeks ago, Louis Steck had nine snaps, He played nine snaps against Iowa state. That's unheard. I mean, that's pretty wild. Um, I have to go back, you know, I like, I'm just going to try and say this, say this word, as much as I can on these podcasts now and just be masturbatory. But I want to go back to two weeks ago where, you know, I said I'd be more surprised if this defensive line was inept than, uh, than if they were competent or even good. And all of a sudden these, uh, you know, they're, you you hear the cliche, you know, they're, they're rotating players like hockey line, hockey line changes, you know, but can you remember a time where nine defensive linemen saw significant snaps for an Iowa team? The answer to that question is no.
1: No. I mean, I think what it means is they're all kind of the bodies that they're looking for. I know that some of them probably could be more built, right? But if you're coming at offensive linemen with 6'5", 260-pound guys every single time, they're always fresh. It's different than like going against Adrian Claiborne for 65 to 70 snaps a game. Just because you're you're getting that guy's best shot every time. Not that Adrian Claiborne took snaps off, but you have different responsibilities if you know you're going to go a full game. And I think that that has allowed some of these players to really emerge. I know we've, maybe as a staff, been pretty high on like Deontay Craig. He came in, he had half a sack. Um, And what helps is just how versatile the linebackers are because Jack Campbell and Seth Benchton are, they're good blitzers. They run Dane, uh, Dane Belton on blitzes. Um, And it's, it's about as perfect. I think a defense as Phil Parker could construct in the sense that just wave after wave up front, three really good linebackers call it four with Dane Belton. And then, um, defensive backs who look to catch the ball and run with it. Um, I was chatting with my dad and he's like, you see Iowa's defense get the hand on the ball and even more, they're normally pretty good at this but they are immediately looking for someone to block and th- they just have a tenacity that through two games all the qualifiers associated with that, but it seems like what they're doing is sustainable if I'll use that phrase again, the Kirk Ferentz ecosystem can continue to play football games the way the these last two games have unfolded. Because that's really the question for me is, first, can, can Iowa play this style 10 more times? And then what what does it look like if they aren't playing this style? So um, to me, it's... The, the first two wins give the offense a lot of a break because (laughs) if you lose two games and you put up barely 400 yards across the two of them, a lot of unhappy fans. But the fact that there are wins, the fact that they're both double digit wins, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard to like take complaints seriously as more than just people complaining to complain although there are concerns to be had.
0: We love to say here, isn't it? Two things can be true at the same time. And we can defend the quarterback of a team that is 2-0 and for the number five team in the country and also point out that it'd be nice if he completed a pass in, a quor- <laughs> in quarters that weren't just the second quarter. <laughs> um and for like going back to you know the the, the construction of this Phil Parker's defense, I do want to mention too. You know, it's, he has all bodies he wants, and not only that, he has defensive backs who are some of the most sure tackler, tacklers I can remember from a unit. I can't remember a single uh, a, a, a defensive back com- totally and completely whiffing um, against a, a, when he was one on one in space with a with a ball carrier for Iowa State last uh, on Saturday. I know Jack Kerner made a, a tackle in the first quarter that reminded me of the, the Geno Stone tackle where he's going full steam ahead against Michigan, I think, in 2019, you know. Um, oh, the, these, these, these guys just don't – they're such sure tacklers. They don't make mistakes. There, There's only one, you know, one big player. Maybe Riley Moss was called his pants down. Um, but, it, you know, it was kind of so late in the game. It was a little inc- inconsequential. It's just so disciplined. And it's it, it feels a little strange, like you're asking – the defense to do so much and the offense is doing so little where it's, it's just not sustainable.
1: Yeah. I, I think the one broad thing that needs to improve is capitalizing on what the defense gives Iowa, the defense and special teams giving Iowa, Iowa's offense because uh, I guess I probably should pull it up, but there were a number of um, possessions where Iowa got the ball on Iowa State's side of the field and then did nothing with it. Like the the one where... Um, oh, yeah, because this was an incredible combination, right? Where Iowa <clears throat> got the ball at their 10-yard line, didn't get a first down, but totally flipped the field because... Iowa State had punt return on and forgot to catch the ball on the punt return. I I've never seen a special teams blunder as impactful as that one because it was uh, I- Iowa State had a four point deficit. It's right where you want to be if you're them and one. Why aren't you just trying to block the kick. That, that, that was the first mistake. And then second, you have three guys back there. How's, how are they like spread equally across the field and not like one up to catch a shorter punt and one back to catch another one? And then you almost catch it but don't in, in a way that makes it look like you may have touched it, which was probably the saving grace of that play. Long story short, uh, they had to punt after they had their own three and out where they went negative 12 yards. So Iowa went from their own 10-yard line to Iowa State's 43 in the span of the two punts. And they couldn't capitalize on that offensively. It's fine because the defense went and had the fumble touchdown, but... From an offensive perspective, you just have to score there. Like that, to me, that is a moment where the offense has to put points on the board, even though we know that the defense is so good. And the worst case is I mean, the worst case is you miss a long field goal and give them good field position now. But the worst case of a punt being pinned, it's fine, but it'd be nice to see, hey, they need to score this possession they actually go and score it and it did happen in the second quarter to to be fair to to what we did see but man that that was one of the wildest possessions without anything of note really happening just because it was all it was all punting
0: i mean the most frustrating part of this entire equation is i always got players we know what Tyrone Tracy can do. We know what Nico Reganey can do. We know what Tyler Goodson can do and who, which offensive other than, and, and, you know, the the guy who had the best offensive plays was our number three receiver who two years ago was at Buffalo. And he's also, you know, he's without question, the offensive player in the game for his returning prowess too, you know? It's, so it's just crazy that all of a sudden he, he's our biggest playmaker on offense. And then, What's most frustrating about that, too, is um, what other than Charlie Jones's, you know, the the great catch and his touchdown, or what's what other play on offense sticks out to you? Because I've got one.
1: There isn't a single play that sticks out other than that one.
0: I mean, Monty pa- play. Monty Pottabum had a really nice seven yard run in the goal line <laughs> when he when he's lined up to Petri next to Petris, and that's it. So, like, when your fullback has the second most memorable play on offense, and it was, it was a seven-yard gain and nothing else, didn't even set up a touchdown, or yet yeah, Goodson eventually punched in, I guess. But it, 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 we're it, it, it's a problem, Harrison, and it's like this is a problem we've had before, but not with these this kind of talent, and. You know, I, I did say last week, you know, Brian France may maybe had himself a nice game. Maybe uh, I was blinded by the 10-yard QB draw play that he drove for Petris that uh, led to a touchdown.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, Saturday was a really, 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 really bad day for him. It just was. There's no way to cut it.
1: Yeah, I thought... Because c- I, 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 I saw this somewhere. I can't remember which comment section it was, but... There's a difference between being conservative and having a poor showing, and both can be true, right? I mean, you can have both both be conservative and poorly show at that, and I think that that is what we saw on uh, Saturday more than we even saw in the Indiana game because it's not like with the Indiana game, Iowa had a twenty-eight to three lead, right? Or it's, it's, it, they had already had their three possession lead. I'm comfortable chalking that second half up to and, and just it was at winding the clock down. Um, but the Iowa state game with the emotion behind it, you want all gas, no breaks like the beer that are, I think it was Matt who was on the sticks. He tweeted out and there just wasn't that. Now I get it. You don't want to let Iowa state turn it over and give them good field position. I get that. But there is just, at this point, there is so little stress being applied to opposing defenses that it is 100% concerning. Because where's the wide receiver screen? Like, I mean, to me, that is an easy horizontal pass where it should not be defended, that you can get it out to Tracy and let him run. Where... Where are the constraint running plays with the jet sweep sweep action, endings um, of that nature? I understand being conservative, but there are more productive ways to be conservative, and, and they tapped into it last year. They haven't necessarily done so this year, and. That is where my head's at as we look towards the next two games where Kent State, high-powered offense, um, we need to see something more than Iowa just trying to do the hammer-nail thing with with a MAC team Um, because that, that to me, is what's concerning because just winning football games can only sustain you so long from a defensive perspective. Eventually, it's going to come back to bite you. And, um, it hasn't yet two presumably good teams. Um, but it, this is tune-up time now and it's time to, you know, start thinking, um, a little closer to the edges of the box.
0: Yeah. I mean, it kind of is tune-up time though. Uh, because, you know, I would, now we're getting, we had to eat our vegetables before, our dessert and usually it's the other way around um, with the way the football schedule <laughs> um, before the way it shook, shook out this year, which I'm fine with. I mean, the the problem is like, I wouldn't, the Iowa coaches now have the opportunity to score 45 points, you know, in, in consecutive games. And for it's so we can easily forget then what happened, um, you know, the pre the first two weeks of the season, then we go, then we go into college park on Friday night against Maryland and, the opportunity to step on a rake there is just so it seems so ripe um you know I'm not sure I I don't think like if you're going to work out in the offensive kinks you're not going to do it against Colorado State or Kent State like if you couldn't like what are you going to what are you going to learn I guess from those defenses that's going to help you down the road I I guess it's time to build momentum it's time to maybe figure things out on the offensive line even though Maybe a little bit of, I I do, the offensive line wasn't great. I can't remember ever um, an Iowa offensive line giving up a sack to a three-man rush. That happened on Saturday. But at the same time, they're not the reason Iowa struggled on offense either, I think. Um, Or maybe they're part of the reason. You know, they're not the sole. Nobody's, there isn't one person holding the stick, holding the bag for all this, but I just don't get, you know, we've, say over and over and over again, we've seen this movie before with Brian Ferentz and his offenses, and it's just like, you know, we said at the beginning of this podcast, if not now, when, about Matt Campbell. If not now, when, with <coughs> competent offense and Brian Ference.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's about seeing it sustain over multiple possessions, over multiple quarters, and doing so in a way this is my grading scale where it stresses the defense. And like I this is where I do get back to last year. I thought they made some strides last year in terms of all right, the Wildcat, the Wildcat's doing unique things within it. Um, you know, not just barreling ahead with Tyler Goodson runs, um, as they have this year. The the running the the running scheme right now is just so vanilla um you're not and it makes it harder for guys to go out and execute their job when teams know where the ball is going so that's why even with I, i i just don't know why iowa doesn't just come out and just jet sweep action for not 15 straight plays but like make a concerted effort to do that because that is the type of thing that can make your running game look better and there's a lot of things to to build off it it can make it makes your the job easier for the offensive linemen it's a way to get receivers involved in Iowa's system there's just a lot that can be used from that and I, so so that's the one thing and then I just I mentioned it before the wide receiver screens it's it's weird to say but I think that this team needs more of those Greg Davis type uh, offensive um, philosophies, I guess, built into it because like, I like Tracy, but we haven't been able to see what he can do in space yet this year. And, you know, you you come in and Brian Farron says on that three hour long podcast, Oh, I probably could have gotten Tyron Tracy, the ball more. Well, he's not really made a concerted effort yet um to, to try and do that and it's not about just feeding one guy because it is a team game and there are other people to to think about and you know try and get the ball to. but it's it's just too easy to defend that is ultimately what I come back to Iowa offense the last two games and that can change through play calling I don't think it necessarily changes through a quarterback decision. And I, I I don't think that necessarily a quarterback decision is the type of thing that Kirk Ferentz can properly manage if Spencer Petras is the guy. So, like, to me, it just comes down to Spencer Petrus doing what he's done the last year and a half and building the offense around what he can do well and what he can't, can't do well, because I was at a height that I don't like we're here now, right? Like as a fan base, we are here in the top five in September. That doesn't happen. The last time it happened, I think was like the eighties with, with Hayden Fry. So are we going to gun for it or not? And I, I, Petrus just seems to be better, but he also needs to get some help in being better as well. So it's, it's weird to say, cause like, I, but eventually, eventually it's just not going to work. Like you're, you're going to have a team that goes up and takes the ball first and then goes down and scores. And then you're immediately down a touchdown. And how do you manage that? It just, um, it's just such an ecosystem. I'm going to, overuse that word this, this this season. Um but that's just how I feel about it. And it doesn't need to change by wide swaths. It needs to be like degrees that it needs to change. Um so I'm 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 hopeful just because hey, I didn't think they were gonna get the two wins. They found a way to squeeze two wins out of out of the schedule and Now's the time to paint a little bit.
0: Here's what's going to happen. We're going to, over the next two games, Petrus is going to complete close to 60% of his passes for between 200 and 280 and 330 yards, throw between three to five touchdowns and no interceptions, and we're going to say, oh, he's cured. It's fixed. And then we're going to walk into College Park, Maryland, (laughs) and we're going to get bailed out by our defense again and again and again. Drive after drive after drive, and we're going to see the the same. We're going to see the offense of September and in in October, and we're going to have to deal with it. And we're you know we're not going to see we're not going to see Oxpedio unless Petrus gets hurt. And the problem is like. We're being freaking red pilled to death, and
1: <laughs>
0: and like, but, but there is no blue pill option. Like we, we just have to taking our medicine. Is we don't have a choice. It's we, we're just we, we just got to take this.
1: That's incredible. That that lines up almost exactly with something else that that Stoops shared with me. He's just like we're all beholden to Kirk Ferentz's worldview. Every single person involved in Iowa football, whether you're a fan, whether you're an employee, whether you're a player, you're beholden to how Kirk Ferentz operates. And he has not changed on some things. He has not changed on his opinion of having a quarterback one and a quarterback one only. And whenever there's a grain of salt in that gear shift, he just... He, it's like he forgets how to coach um, because you see it just go off the rails. It's not, I have zero expectation that we're going to see an Alex Padilla package in the first half of either of the next two games under any circumstance, it, which would be how you, if you're entertaining the idea of a second quarterback, you would go about it. So, not optimistic there. But you're exactly right. We just have to hope Petrus actually is better, and the offense was very much holding back these last two games, um, because it's it is not going to be pretty. Like they they may well end up winning the division, but they're going to have to show that they can win another way against I think one of probably out of two of the the four teams being Purdue Northwestern Penn State or Wisconsin they're going to have to show variety in how that how they can win games because otherwise it's it's going to be another Wisconsin year where they fall kind of ass backwards into it uh, unless I mean, unless someone comes from nowhere. And that could happen, but uh, it, it just doesn't seem like that's going to be the case.
0: I mean, no, it's it's our, it's our conference to lose this year. And if we're going to lose it, it's going to be because we can't score points. We'd see the <sighs> train coming a mile away, yeah. 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 It's, so we should talk more bad things about our number five
1: football team. Well, and that's why it's like, that's why I come back to the the first two games, results-wise, could not have gone better. The how certainly could have, but the how is not necessarily for me to worry about it, you know, like, uh, but I want to see it be better, right? Like, I mean, (laughs) I want to see it be better. It's not like I'm content with 200 yards offense every Every game, even if it is a win, it's like, we, we have to see more. We have to see more.
0: I mean, that's why they invented the term, see how the sausage gets made. Because <laughs> you see, I was record. But if <laughs> we told you how we got there, I don't know, you, you might send the dish back.
1: I was, I was looking at some combination of stats, and it was basically record when accumulating... 325 yards or less now i understand 325 is an incredibly arbitrary number but the only teams who had more games where they had less yardage over i i I can't remember how far back it goes the only teams who had more were rutgers northwestern and illinois but iowa has a higher winning percentage than every team except Penn state. And it's like, it's just not a pretty brand of football that Kirk Ferentz puts out on the football field, unless you are defense or punter aligned, because it's just, it's just, it is like watching. I don't know, like a steel mill. Like it's just not fun. At times. Most times.
0: I mean, yeah. And if we're being honest, I've had lots and lots of fun the last two weeks watching Iowa, and I'm going to have lots and lots of fun watching them probably the next two weeks, and then get back to me leading up to Maryland <laughs> and afterwards.
1: <laughs> but,
0: I mean, yeah, we just have to ride the roller coaster.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just hope it has a little bit of a different, different ending than we've seen the last, because ultimately what it comes down to, for me, is like, year in year out it Iowa always is going to have a chance at the division it's about maximizing on it and now that we see where they're at in the context of college football there's some serious gains that can be done and I just truth I I don't think stoop or I don't think Kirk Ferentz is equipped to manage those types of expectations like I actually think Matt Campbell is a little better equipped to do that, but you still have to win the games, right? That's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, and we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, things, are, things are breaking their way across the conference as we uh, look across it. And the first and foremost was Oregon's upset of Ohio State on Big Nude Saturday.
0: Yeah, um, I mean it's it's what happens when Ohio State doesn't have a Chase Young or uh, I mean going back to like Laurinaitis, some uh, sneak Heisman candidate at a defensive position. It's just the first year they're missing a guy, maybe like Justin Jacobs, you know, who's in their own backyard. And it's again what happens with I mean CJ Stroud had a fine game. He the, the offense was fine. Olave played well. It's um, the Oregon talk about like they had all those guys. Uh, out before the game. Like, didn't they have all three starting linebackers were out? Um, and, I mean, we're talking about, like, quarterback plays. I think Oregon's quarterback's name Anthony Brown, right? Or D Anthony Brown. Um, everything I read about him, same as, like, he just didn't lose the game. You know, he was just a perfect game manager. And, you know, you know who Oregon's offensive coordinator is? Joe Moorhead, you know, the old offensive coordinator from Penn State, who – Miss flamed out of Mississippi State, and will probably be uh, he'll get a head coaching job again sometime in the next two or three years. Um, it's, I mean, it's surprising. When's the last time Ohio State lost at home?
1: I don't know if it was the um, the game against Oklahoma in 2017, but I do know that that was the last out-of-conference home loss that they've had. Um, and it was wild. Like, Mark Titus, he was there doing his thing. And did you see him have the Titus curse where the freaking drum major fell flat on his face running out of the yeah. tunnel? Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, what have I just done betting on Ohio State minus 14? That was where my head was at when I saw that, and it was a fun watch other than the fact that my wallet was elsewhere, because I was constantly concerned about that, but once once you hit a point, it's just like, nope, this one's done, um, but they look totally beatable. It's just... It comes back to the offense, right? Like, it comes back to Iowa being able to do enough against Ohio State if those are the two teams that make it to the Big Ten championship game. And I'm allowing myself to to think about that just a smidge, just a smidge.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, it's obviously it's only week two. A lot of carpool for the <laughs> horse putting we're doing. But it's like I can't remember – ever there, there ever been a time where it's like wow i will you know wisconsin's really down ohio state's down penn state might be good again this year um but you know michigan's down michigan state might be something that's they're on the other side of the conference um you know minnesota struggled against whichever cupcake they played despite their backup running back had like 300 rushing yards i think um and mohammed ibrahim's absence uh I mean, Iowa, just classic, you know, take care of business and just work itself out. But really, you have to be excited about the opportunity um, Iowa has in front of
1: it. That is absolutely the case. So as I go through, the one that stuck out to me as much as anything is I thought Wisconsin was going to um, blast. Eastern Michigan, and they certainly did in some respects. We had our good old friend, a, a, a Stocko line, if I've ever seen one, of 14 to 17, 141 yards. But they didn't necessarily have the gas on for the whole four quarters like I was expecting them to do uh, after seeing the Penn State game um, go the way that it did. I thought they they were going to just run it up to 50 or so and they didn't do it Grant, I didn't watch much of that game um the other one that is interesting that has my ears perked was the Michigan win over Washington 31 to 10 uh you pointed out Cade McNamara is just forensian stat line we we have the stockos we have the the forenseeing quarterback lines and do we have to worry about michigan making a run because they're i i wanted to wait and see um what they were going to do this week before i started like really getting uh interested about it but could, could they be a stealth contender
0: I mean, yeah, normally I'd agree with you, and I still might. But, like, and same with all the other schools I'm about to say, but Michigan's going to have to play Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio yeah. State. And Iowa only has to play Wisconsin, really. So it's going to be tough uh, for any of those three school- four schools I just mentioned to, to go undefeated in that schedule. Well, there's,
1: there's an incredible game. I don't know if it's the same week as Iowa's Maryland game. But uh, Michigan, Ohio, or excuse me, Michigan, Wisconsin is a matchup that has absolutely huge, um, yeah, that's 10-2, so that is uh, three weeks from now. And that has huge implications for Iowa, because if Michigan State can beat, or excuse me, if Michigan can beat Wisconsin, then it allows Iowa to be able to lose to Wisconsin and run the table in the conference elsewhere and still win the division so i am fascinated to see how the big 10 starts to take form as some of these kind of one-off games happen and i'm like i said i'm just cautiously optimistic it's just a matter of can they play games the way they've been playing them because if they can I just, I just, if they can, they can win a lot of games this year. And I wasn't, I was a little down on it. So um, I'm very pleasantly surprised right now. That That's ultimately where it comes down to, is I had my expectations set low.
0: I don't know how you can be thinking about Wisconsin right now when we still have Maryland in three weeks. I'm still, I'm so much more scared of that game than I am of Wisconsin at this time. Like, I can't even believe we're trying to shake the crystal ball.
1: Um, Here's why, because Phil Parker, man. Bill Parker is going to let Tungavailoa throw the ball and Iowa's going to be fine. Like they're not a team committed to the run. Like that's ultimately what it comes down to. If you're going to beat Iowa, I think is you have to be committed to the run and, and wearing Iowa down that way. You're not going to, Slinging around him. I just don't think so. I just think this defense is too good at pass defense for that to be the scab to pick at. I'm glad you're confident. Sell so, so me on Tonga Viola. Like, I mean, other than the fact that his brothers in the other than his other last name
0: Viola, I think it's. I think part of it is a weird Friday night game in a weird place has, I, I don't think I was ever played in Maryland at night, um, ever, uh, against a up and coming coach who we, we don't have tons of, I guess, quote unquote film on sort of a, a Mike Waxley can easily become, I could see him be, you know, a co- big 10 coach of the year, uh, or, uh, cool flavor of the year, uh, coach that we're, we're talking about. And, <laughs> I think part of the reason I'm so scared is I so, know so little about, this, you know, this Maryland team. And if I know so little about it, then, like, what do what these coaches you know about it? I, I think it's so easy to overlook, um, the, you know, Maryland and Rutgers, Rutgers especially. And, you know, M- Mike Loxley has done good things in the past. Uh, he I still has an insane losing record as a head coach, which is pretty hilarious. 10-43. Uh, you know Iowa historically always struggles really struggles mightily against uh, coach play co- quarterbacks like Tagovailoa who are just as threatening with their legs as they are with their arm. And so I'm just not I'm getting caught up in all of that.
1: Okay, okay, that is fair. It's three weeks away, oh, no. so I guess it's maybe not worth getting too bent out of shape yet. But I I respect that there are reasons to be frustrated. Um, As we think about it um, over the next few days, my Kent State prediction, I think that Tyron Tracy is going to score a rushing touchdown. And I think Iowa scores at least six touchdowns on offense. Those are my two predictions. Um, I think Kent State is a stealth uh, team who may be able to break the sacred 25 points, under 25 points uh, streak. I'm, I'm on high alert about that. Uh, I think their offense has a very capable quarterback, and um, it's interesting. The the first two games didn't go as I expected, so there isn't necessarily the same fear with Kent State. But I do think that there's um, concern that they could try and play Iowa a little differently than Iowa State and Indiana have. Um, and their offense is certainly high powered, um, Mac adjusted high powered, I suppose, but high powered enough to um, put a little bit of fear in Iowa. Um, if I'm going to pick a score, I'm going to do, let's call it 52 to 24. Ben, what say you?
0: You know, I think 41, 13 feels right to, to two to three scores out of Kent State. Sounds about right. I don't have any really, I, I do think the offense totally completely turns it on. I think, you know, Spencer Petris or whoever plays quarterback looks sensational, I think everybody looks really good against Kent State. Um, I pray, pray for no injuries. I, you had mentioned your dark horse pick, Kent State to score twenty five points against Iowa. Like that could easily happen because Iowa might be playing its backups the entire fourth quarter. But and I just thought about like <laughs> we already play with our backups on the defensive line, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and like our backups at we we saw Terry Terry Roberts and Dallas Craddith, you know, backing up at. Uh, safety. You know, Seth Benson is technically a backup linebacker, right? Uh, Where Justin Jacobs is, like, this defense is scary deep. Um, So, I don't know, I just think Iowa makes Kent State look like Kent State, and it'll be a nice first half to watch, but I don't think we're really going to learn anything from this game.
1: Okay, okay. So, do you think we... Because my biggest concern is that Iowa gets to a score like you or I are projecting through the hammer nail approach, where it just eventually just wears them down. And like you see something like maybe a 21 point third quarter where they're just wide open running lanes. To me, that's almost a worst case scenario.
0: I mean, yeah. So, so if Iowa could just volleyball Kent State into oblivion, is that your concern?
1: Yeah, because I mean, I think that that doesn't show anything new.
0: No, you don't. But it's like we want to do it. But if like if you can bully ball a team and win by thirty points, why wouldn't you?
1: Because you have to be different sometimes. Like I just, I, mean, I just, I I just think this is one of the times that Iowa football needs to be a little different. Like I just,
0: I would rather they be, I would rather them be different against Maryland.
1: You heard it here (laughs) first, folks. Okay, I think that that is a good place to leave it. So thank you, Ben, for hopping on after we sorted these connectivity issues, and I will chat with you later. What was the last thing you heard me say? When I I don't even remember what I was talking about when
0: I got disconnected.
1: I genuinely cannot remember. And on my end, it
0: said you're the one who got disconnected, by the way, so I don't know why we're pointing the finger at me over here.
1: Got me there. Got me there. I think <laughs> what ended up happening, and and Matt might be in a little bit of trouble, is when I started turning it to the, Penn, the Kent State discussion, I just stopped hearing you. So I think it was something around Michigan. So here's the fear, is that both of us were recording simultaneously, and Matt will have to do some production, too. Delete you, I guess, and then uh, add oh, this on at the end. Oh, he's gonna cancel me now. Okay. Yeah, you said you were uncancelable, and <laughs> look at us <laughs> potentially having to cancel you. Not the first time; won't be the last. Fantastic. Well, for Ben Ross, for Blackheart, Gold Pants, Tarson Star, Go Hawks. Fuck State, but this one's a different one. Nice. Yeah.